Welcome to the first episode of Mindset Park. Our guest today is Sam Neo, a millennial keynote speaker and founder of People Mentality Inc. Sam has been featured by Straits Times, Channel News Asia, and Business Times as a millennial voice in Asia. He's here today to share how having the right mindset was key to his success. So let's just jump into this. Tell me about the transition from working in IHR to founding a company that's doing HR advising. Once I started my own business, or whoever founder starts their own business, things become pretty open, right? You've got to manage now not only the so-called HR work, which I'm passionate about, but also the marketing work, the finance-related work, the business development work, the content management, social media kind of work. So it opens up. And the deeper you go, more things opens up, more things comes along the way. So I think that's the key difference that I've realized since I started my own business. But because of that, it also made me realize the importance of building not just experiences, but building competency. Um, that's something that we often advocate, or rather I often advocate at conferences. You know, It's about building what we call the T-shaped professional or pie shape, where it's not just about experiences that you build over years and years again, because after all, experiences may or may not still be relevant after a couple of years, yeah. given the disruption that's out in the market. But competencies are things that you can take along with you. And it's something that's more transferable across organizations as well as industries over time if you build the right one. So that's where I realized that, hey, I'm really thankful that I managed to build some of the key competencies along the way that helped put me in good stead, that allowed me, in fact, to set up my own business. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever think about being an entrepreneur, or is that something you started to think about once you were in the workforce? So interestingly, being an entrepreneur was never on my mind. Yeah, I always thought that I'm comfortable in a corporate setting, you know, just want to climb the corporate ladder, make a difference in that space. It really came about because I was facing kind of a quarter-life crisis back in 2016, right? Uh, I was thinking, hey, I'm in a very comfortable job, being very well paid, um, doing things that are pretty okay, but I felt that something was lacking. You know, what I was thinking, was it um, to move on to a bigger role, to take on the next level, to do something regional, for instance? But I was kind of lost. I felt that, hey, even, I'm, even though I might move on to another role, but will I be satisfied after the next two years, for instance? And the answer that I got to myself was that I'll probably still be bored and look for something else. So it got me thinking and thinking. So what I did was then to venture out to HR communities, to just share, to give back, hoping to search for some answer. And back then in 2016 was when I realized the concept of mentoring. Mm. Um, that was where I actually started having a couple of mentors that were really pivotal in my career, I would say, to give me the kind of guidance, clarity, and more importantly, the self-trust. I, I felt that at a point of time in 2016, and in fact, a lot of millennials nowadays, right, when they're facing this quarter-life crisis of sort, very often it's a lot of self-doubt. You know, you're not sure what you're doing, whether you're doing okay, and should you be doing what you're doing moving forward. So that's where I think mentoring helped me a lot in terms of giving me that self-trust, some clarity in terms of options, and that's where I realized, hey, maybe entrepreneurship where it wasn't really an option previously mm. could be the viable option. Interesting. So I can't speak for millennials globally here, um, but in Singapore, the Straits Times is reporting that four out of five millennial Singaporeans, like yourself, are also experiencing quarter-life crises. For you though, what was it that gave you more confidence to strike out on your own? Was it the mentoring or the networking? I would say that it's not, not exactly the networking. Mentoring is one piece, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of provide a little bit of clarity. You know, what can I actually do or what options do I have ahead? But what actually gave me that confidence as well, of course, my involvement in the HR community. 
understanding that there is a support network there. I think that something's very important. As well as the fact that I knew along the way I was building my competencies, not only just experiences. And with that, I was confident that, hey, um, with the knowledge that I have, with the frameworks, the mindset that I had, the competencies, I could go out and do something on my own and build further build from there. So that was what actually gave me confidence. A combination of stuff, it wasn't just specifically one thing in that sense. Okay. So when you're advising, and you know, you're trying to help multi-generational workforces work together, leveraging on each other's strengths, is mentoring the platform that you would use? I would say mentoring is one very good platform. Why? Because mentoring is actually a platform for at least two people to kind of come together and have that conversation. You know, very often, um, things like stereotypes happen, um, there's a breakdown in communication because there, were, there isn't a, actually a good platform mm -hmm. in a sense. So when you have mentoring, for instance, typically you get someone who's more experienced, more seasoned, and someone who's younger typically to have that exchange. But it's not just the more experienced one mentoring the younger one, isn't it? You know, after all, reverse mentoring works as well where the younger generation can also provide some insights about what technology is to let them realize that, hey, it can be fun, it can be simple, and it can be very, very useful, right? And that's where, with such a platform, it bridges the communication gap mm. and helps to kind of raise awareness, to create a safety net of sort, to reduce the fear in terms of technology, for instance. Besides HR events and groups and networking events, how did you find other mentors? A lot of them actually came through social media, I must say, interestingly. So all my mentors, or most of them at least, right, happened because of my social media presence and engagement where I was constantly delivering insights, content, to really just share, you know, some of my thoughts, my perspectives. And it kind of attracted their attention, you know, where they realized that, hey, this guy is pretty interesting. He's sharing his views that most millennials are not comfortable having a stand, at least in a space that we're passionate about, for instance. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started conversation going. And I think there was some mutual liking to some extent where, you know, they felt that this guy um, has some value that I can you know, educate him. I can help bring him to the next level. And he knows that I can also add value to the HR community where it's also uh, a belief of theirs. So with that in mind, I think it really boils down to the fact that by giving, you actually receive a lot more. You know, mm -hmm. if you're willing to actually put yourself in front to, to champion something you believe in and really to just add value in, on a day-to-day -day basis, people can tell, people can see it. And that's why you attract a lot more like-minded people and you never know, you know, what happens from there. Yeah. Do you think then there's a need for thought leaders in the HR space and that they should increase their presence in social media through sharing insights and experience? I would say social media presence is one thing. Um, of course, that helps in terms of your branding, whether it's company branding, personal branding, that can help in terms of um, recruitment, for instance. But what's more important is about the point of value adding, right? How do you use your knowledge, your expertise to add value to people in different spaces, right? Social media to me is more like a platform. How do you use this platform to reach out to more people? But whether it's internal or external, it boils down to the, the point of value. How do you add value and make a difference in people's lives? So for example, internal HR, it's not just about managing processes. It's also about helping um, others grow in their career, for instance, having proper career conversations, having coaching to kind of unlock some kind of um, dilemma, for instance, yeah. or bridging communication gaps between, let's say, a subordinate and a supervisor who's not talking, for instance. And that's where we can make a difference. It's not just about managing processes, your payroll, and your leave process, for instance. Now, you've had a lot of experience with some tough topics working in HR. I want to focus in on one. 
When someone comes to you and they're in conflict, or even an entire department starts to get siloed and communication is breaking down, how does HR get the friction to clear up, or how does you as someone in HR help get through those hurdles? You can have engagement surveys, but if you're just taking info after info but there's no follow-up, it pisses people off. Mm -hmm. You can have a town hall, but with a town hall, if you're not willing to open up, not authentic about things, people get really frustrated because they know it's just for show. Right? So the authenticity part comes into play and the part on the follow-up is very important as well. While creating a platform, you need to understand what you can and cannot do and communicate that effectively. Mm -hmm. That's where it reduces the friction and that's where people believe that um, the management is really committed on this people journey, this people agenda and not just paying lip service. So you have that communication piece but you need leadership to really care so they have to be authentic. But how do you know if you are authentic? I think to be authentic, first and foremost, an environment of trust and safety has to be created, mm -hmm. right? The reason why, okay, so let's talk about this. We are probably most authentic when we are with our family because if you're really comfortable, we can just no holds bar, give them everything and they can do the same likewise. But at work, most of the time, we have to remain so-called professional. We have to be a little more careful what we say, right? Because we don't feel as safe as when compared to when we're at home with our family members, right? So the thing about what HR can do and management can do is to create a culture of safety, a trust, where people feel that, hey, this is a place where I can really voice out my concerns. If it's genuinely there to add value and to help the organization grow, right? But feeling which, if it's a very authoritarian culture, if it's a very top-down culture, think about this. Would you feel comfortable voicing out? Would you put yourself at stake or your career at stake? You probably won't. So that's probably the first step that HR management should work towards to create a sense of security. And thereafter, you can then create an open culture where it's really open door, it's really comfortable and you know, really free-flowing. Otherwise, you can have your open desk, you can have an open door management policy. It's not going to work. It's more like a show, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In your work advising, you specifically understand the millennial generation. Do you feel like sometimes there's too much generalization about millennials around their values and beliefs? Like, do you feel the term millennial is too broad a spectrum to place so many people into? I would say, okay, because the term millennial is pretty broad-based, right? It spans across 20 years in the broadest definition, so I do see some um, differentiation in some sense, but there are commonalities, of course. For instance, uh, a lot of them believe more in um, things like having a voice. They want to voice out things, they want to make a difference, they want to do things that um, have a social impact, for instance. And that's why you see a lot of millennials nowadays focusing on going to, let's say, tech companies, yeah. tech startups that believe in changing the world as compared to um, certain industries that are probably causing harm to the environment, for example, tobacco industry or oil and gas, for instance. So to some extent, there are similarities and differences, but that happens even across generations or within generations itself. Because um, we are in a certain environment that we grow up with that might vary a little bit. And based on the context that we grow up with, people we interact with, we all know that there's some differences. I mean, just both of us, right? Yeah. We might be similar age group, but where we grew up with, our parents, our background, our income bracket, so on and so forth, might change our mindset a little bit, the way we behave a little bit. Even though if we dig deeper, there might be some core needs, right? So regardless of generation, typically, I would say there are four areas that um, drives people, right? Um, I term it as MAPS, M-A-P-S. So M actually stands for mastery. So you want to be good at what you're doing. You want to feel a sense of accomplishment. 
as you grow, right? A is actually autonomy. You want to have a voice in something in some way. You want to have some kind of autonomy to know that what you do is not always being micromanaged, for instance. P is actually purpose. What you do, whether it's aligned to what you believe in, whether you feel that it's something meaningful or not. And S, of course, is a sense of belonging. You want to feel as part of a family, not just another employee or worse still, a number on a spreadsheet. That's even worse. Um, so I think generally, regards to generation, you see these are four core needs that people have, but it's just the difference in intensity. Some might want more in terms of mastery, some purpose, and the form that it takes. Mm. So purpose might come in different form for you, for me, for different generations, mastery as well. So that's something that I think it's important to pay attention to, to understand the core drivers and the core needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So focusing in on millennials can be really important then. Even if it's general, but you get some key insights into the workplace. Because for millennials, I know turnover can be really costly to companies. And these millennials have a lot of options now with the gig economy, uh, as healthy as it is. For a company wanting to hold on to these millennials, would you say a key is to following maps? Or what else do you need to keep them there longer? So of course, like I said, the maps is probably one thing that companies should think about. You know, what are core drivers of different groups of people and how can you cater to help actually engage them a little bit better. But I like to challenge the notion about talent retention or employee retention, right? Mm -hmm. If we know that millennials nowadays don't stay that long because they have this YOLO or FOMO mindset, right? That they want to experience new things all the time. Um, Expecting them to stay in an organization for long might not be viable anymore. So why not relook at this? If this is a situation, how do you then make use of the situation and relook things? For example, is it about retaining the people or is it retaining the value that they bring, for instance, mm -hmm. right? So instead of thinking, how can I retain people for longest time, um, why not think about when they leave? Can you make sure that you know they leave by creating a better culture, a better deliverable in the organization instead? How do you retain knowledge, for instance? How do you retain the network that they create? How do you pass on and retain the value that they have delivered over the course of their tenure? I think that's something that we should think of moving forward, considering the gig economy, considering the um, the job hopping culture, so-called. Yeah, I think it's important to relook rather than complain about, I can't retain, I can't attract, but how do you relook at this whole thing to make sure that company still functions, what you need is still in place. Mm -hmm. Even if employers are doing everything right, there will always be some attrition among millennial workers. So when these millennials or any other employees move on, what is the last impression that HR should be giving these employees before they move on? For them wanting not to have their employer brand affected, and what can they do to make the move as positive as possible? Imagine this, if you really treat them with respect, if you really take care of them regardless of where they are, you never know, they might come back as boomerang employees, they might be out there advocating for your company. So for example, I always talk about Keppel, Changi Airport Group. Imagine if I left on bad terms, would I be saying that? And on social media, at conferences, how would that have turned out, right? Yeah. So having the kind of experiences from the start to the end actually makes a difference. Treating them with respect, taking care of them, regardless of whether they're still with you and having a connection. I think that's where it can make the difference. In fact, three months or six months down the road, if the relationship is good, they will be more than comfortable to share with you some of these things because there's little or nothing at stake anymore, right? And that's where you get true feedback. That's where you can really help grow the company culture and enhance your branding further from there, yeah. Okay, so you've mentioned that personal branding can really be a key to help boost the employee brand, but it can be a bit of a long game. How do you help people see that it, it is hitting the bottom line? Like, how do you see that personal branding is making the business become more profitable? 
I would say yes. Um, so for instance, right, we, we hear about this term telemagnet, right? Um, it can be individuals, it can be companies, for instance, but for instance, if you look at um, Alibaba, you think of Jack Ma. He's the telemagnet, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You think about Virgin, you think about... moving on now, right? Precisely. <laughs> you think about Richard Branson, for instance. Oh, yeah. So these are people who have very strong personal brand, whether deliberate or not, in some sense, and they attract the people who wants to join them because of these people. They're inspired, for example, back then, Steve Jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Think of Apple, you think of Steve Jobs, think of always oh, a very prestigious brand. So personal brand can also build onto the company brand, which does add value, at least from a recruitment point of view. And if you talk about internally, with a strong founder or a strong talent magnet of sort, people feel a sense of pride being associated with these people. Mm -hmm. It helps, you know, create a sense of pride and engagement in some sense, where they feel that, hey, this is not just another company. I feel proud to tell my friends or family that I work for Grab, for instance, for mm -hmm. Alibaba and not just any ABC company. Right. So I think personal brand, while it might seem intangible, I don't have the numbers, while it might seem intangible, to me it does make a difference, whether it's from recruitment point of view, internal engagement point of view, or just from a company growth point of view, because a lot of times when you watch, um, for me I watch a lot of Shark Tank, right? Um, personal branding for the founder, it, it's really about investing not only just about company, but investing in the founder for instance as well, which makes the personal brand, the personal belief um, a lot more valuable than just what you deliver or what you just do. So Sam, what is your unfinished legacy? Like what do you really want to do with people mentality going forward and in your life? So really I think what I started out doing this was to really create a voice for Asian HR. We take a lot of reference from the West because they have a lot of more progressive practices. But think about this, do we not have good practitioners or good practices in Asia? I believe we do. It's a matter of how are we articulating this? What kind of stories are we telling? Are we able to showcase the value of what we have and then exchange it with the West? I think that's where the bigger picture comes. When you're able to exchange knowledge from East and West, that's where you can build a profession more holistically rather than just always copying what the West is doing, which may not, may or may not, right, be effective in Asia. So I think that's something that I'm working towards um, through my social media platforms, conferences, consulting projects, to really showcase that, you know, Asia has good practices and people like myself, if a young guy like Sam can be talking at conferences, championing this, anyone can do it. That's the message that I want to send out, right? Nice. So ultimately, hopefully with what I'm doing, I can rally more like-minded people, build a stronger HR community in Asia as well, and build this voice that I think we deserve to have and exchange it to the West to really grow the profession as a whole. Awesome. Thanks for your thoughts. What about 30 years out? Are you still leading people mentality? Or is there a whole chain of consulting companies there? Really, what do you see going on in 30 years? Um, you never know. I mean, like with things, think how fast things are changing nowadays, we can't even tell what's happening five years down the road, isn't it? But um, if I were to envision what I'm doing from now, it's probably beyond people mentality. Uh, I do see myself after this phase, hopefully going to more like an investment VC space where it's really about constantly advocating the people practice in different ways. For example, helping companies grow, investing in companies that really believe in the people agenda, and really seeing how it can make a difference difference and impact to the society at large. So people mentality to me is the first step. It's for me to kind of champion certain movements, to advocate certain beliefs. But beyond that, you never know where things might go. But hopefully it's building on the success of people mentality to make a difference in more spaces available. Yeah. Well, it's been great getting the chance to be here and sit with Sam Neo from People Mentality Inc. and hear a millennial leader's thoughts and experiences in HR with personal and employee branding. And I wanted to give Sam the chance to ask our listeners that might be interested in people mentality how they can learn more about you or work with you. 
So what we do is to help you solve your internal HR issues, um, whether it's to grow the business through HR practices or enhance it, and then tell your stories, your unique stories, to let people know what you stand for and let your staff be proud of it, basically. So we do multiple things. Consultancy is one. We do facilitation and training workshops as well to help bridge the gap, whether it's communication skills, whether it's about leadership retreat to align goals, for instance. And I also do a lot of speaking gigs, as we all know, um, to really champion, like I said, what I believe in and hopefully educate people and change their mind, get them thinking about what could be done and what has not been done, perhaps. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us. Sam, Thanks for inviting and, uh, me. Yeah. Look forward to speaking with you in the future. And uh, Likewise. best luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our first podcast. Join the conversation on MindsetPark.com by liking, commenting, and subscribing. Our subscribers get inside access to insights from global thought leaders. Remember, your life is only as good as your mindset.